Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature figurative painter Danielle McKinney. She completed her BFA at Atlanta College of Arts and her MFA at Parsons School of Design. She creates narrative paintings that often focus on the solitary female protagonist. In these intimate portraits, Danielle captures the figure immersed in various leisurely pursuits and moments of deep reflection. Her work is in private and public collections, including the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, Dallas Museum of Art, Institute of Contemporary Art Miami, the Israel Museum Jerusalem, the Hessel Foundation Collection at Bard. Her work has been included in the exhibitions Heroic Bodies at the Rudolf Tegner's Museum in Denmark. In a dream, you saw a way to survive and you were full of joy at the Contemporary Austin, Uncanny Interiors at Niccolo Vassil Gallery, and Black Melancholia at Hessel Museum of Art. Danielle McKinney is represented by Marion Boski Gallery in New York and Knight Gallery in Los Angeles. She lives and works in New Jersey. Enjoy this episode featuring Danielle McKinney. Danielle, I am so excited to feature you on my podcast. Welcome. Me too. <laughs> Thank you, Phyllis. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Let's start when you were younger. When did you discover your artistic passion? Uh, I started uh, taking classes when I was around maybe 10 or 11. My grandmother would take me to um, it's like the YMCA in our neighborhood, and they had craft classes like uh, ceramics, painting, and we would go, and it would—it was my happy place, you know. I would play with the children in the afternoons in the yard, but my grandma would take me there on Wednesdays and Fridays, and I would really look forward to creating and putting these vessels in the furnace and seeing what would be created, or using the colors to kind of create these atmospheres, or you know, painting the cows and the pigs that I saw in my grandfather's farm. So it, that was my earliest experience of creation. Yeah, I love when artists tell me that they uh, had adults in their life early on that, that encouraged them. Yes. Was there a particular artist or a work of art that influenced you? 
Around the time that I started to go to grad school, I started looking at um, a lot of photography, a lot of performance art, but I wasn't really inspired by um, really visual art. I was more inspired by music and sensory to sound. So I was listening to a lot of R&B, like Anita Baker or Chardet. And so it would be the mood of those atmospheres that conjured up feelings in me to want to create. And I grew up with a lot of music around me and my family. So hearing those sounds or being in a silent church and hearing the moan of a gospel, you know, James Cleveland, Mm -hmm. I would hear that music and that would create something in my spirit that made me want to produce. So it was more uh, musical for me. And now when you're working, do you listen to music? All the time. All the time. Is it gospel or have you changed? It's it's R&B. It's a mix of like, you know, right now I've been listening to a lot of Frank Ocean. Um, I listen to a lot of James Blake. Um, I listen to this artist called Sean. Um, I listen to a lot of Tom York. It's really a sound that uh, is, and I took sound, I studied sound when I was an undergrad for two years. And we would sit in this empty dark room and listen to each other's sounds and music. And it would create these kind of visual installations in the mind um, for me that I would kind of be inspired by. So in the studio now, I, I play a lot of music to kind of produce these kind of feelings in these figures or feelings that come out of me onto the canvas. And are there concepts or thoughts that connect your work? Um, not necessarily. There's always these kind of thematic things that I look to kind of make sure that I include. It's these atmospheres in regards to the interior spaces that these figures hold or that they're inhabiting. Um, also to the gestures that they create, you know, or the, that, that gesture creates the mood that they're in. You know, if they're sitting in a chair, what's their posture? What's their language? What's their, what's their body communicating in the space that they're in? So that's a constant kind of thing that I look to kind of translate throughout the work. Um, I also enjoy like the nails, you know, it's part of that feminine touch, that claimness of beauty that I like for them to have. So I look forward to adding those red nails and always that cigarette. And the cigarette is not just the nicotine addiction. It represents like that deep exhale that we all take that kind of like, okay, I can just, wow, I can just be here. Yeah. I love that. And how would you define your practice? Um, it's almost a meditation. It's, uh, it's something like at first, you know, a lot of people ask, are they me? And I don't consider the figures or the paintings to be representations of myself, but I really consider it to be uh, a deep meditative practice because it's a release. You know, when I paint and it's a great painting and I feel like it's communicating what it needs to say, I I feel like I have released something and that's important for me. I've made something that I can share. Um, But it's also a very frustrating uh, process because I want it to be, especially painting something so vividly real that I see in my head. And when I go to paint it, it's not that. And that can be incredibly frustrating. It can be isolating and to the point that sometimes I'm in tears because I can't get it out. So I've learned to relinquish control. So that's why I also consider it a meditation in a way. So what, what materials do you use? Um, uh, right now I work, I keep it very simple. You know, I wasn't trained formally as a painter, so I just kind of walked in the art store and saw some things and had some really amazing people help me along the way. But I just use my basic canvas. It's on cotton. 
I really like to paint that and I gesso it, I like a black gesso. And I work a lot with a lot of different um, acrylic paints and colors. So I have that. I have simple brushes that I use and um, I, I rely a lot on the steel photographs that I find online and social media or in books that I've ordered from the 60s and 70s for visual imagery and source material. And has your practice changed over the years? Oh, completely, Phyllis. Um, it's, it's, it's an intuitive process, so I can't control it in a way. Um, you know, in the beginning, I was really inspired and, you know, a lot by the folk art period. Like, I looked at a lot of art by Jacob Lawrence as well. It's very inspired by the colors and the shapes, and I love that, so I experimented with painting that way. And then the more I painted, the more I wanted to bring the figure out more. So the process changed, the figure changed, the interior spaces, the brush strokes became more heavy, the texture became layered. And it was just the more I paint, the more they become like, it's not in a way, I guess, better for me in visually form. And I want to perfect the skill. I want to learn more. So I think that that in, in, in turn changes the painting. And if you were not a visual artist, what career path do you think you would have chosen? I love that question. <laughs> um, you know, I really think I'd be a criminal investigator. Ah. <laughs> I can relate to that, actually. <laughs> I'm nosy. I'm so nosy. I love to spy and to look and to see and not be seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How do you define black art? Uh, black art is something that tells... Uh, a, a tremendous story. It's, um, you know, I look a lot at uh, black art, black poetry, black writing, black music, black sound. I'm influenced by it, especially the sound and the music. So I, I rely on that. And I think it's it, black art is it has an ability to tell a story. It's truth. It's, you know, not saying that all art is not that, but black art has a way to kind of tell you something without telling you everything. And it's just cryptic in that matter. So I consider black art to be cryptic and truthful and very soulful. Great. When did the titles of the work enter the creative process? Um, the titles are very, very hard uh, for me because I want to leave the work open-ended. So having a title, I feel like gives a direction toward the piece. So that's a very hard thing for me to do. So I try to title the work in a way that it leads you um, to your own device. Like, you know, it can tell you, you know, something about it, but not everything. So that's a little tricky process that I take the time to try to create something where considering the audience and that they can have space to enter as well. Do you think the audience understands your work? Such a, I, wow, that, I, I, I don't know. I, I really hope so. I really hope that they can come into those rooms and sit with those figures or that like almost a criminal investigator and investigator in me can watch them from a place that they're okay to be watched and be seen and that people can also be those figures, that, that they can find their self in that, that the work can be a mirror. That's my, my, that's my greatest intention. It's not about, oh, did I paint someone that looked like me or has my skin color. It's more about, can we all be connected and can you find home in here? Can you find it? Beautiful. How do you keep learning? 
Um, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. I study a lot of like classical art with my husband. Um, we're always sharing art with each other. I'm avidly looking on Instagram for art and see art that I'm deeply inspired by and, you know, sharing and connecting. I think Instagram is the greatest platform now that you can connect to people globally and share and talk. So I stay inspired through that. I use the social media tool as a way to connect to the community of other great artists that are just, I mean, I see art and I'm just like, I sit there and I cry because it's so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, it can do that to you. Yes. Uh, and thank yes. goodness, thank goodness we have artists and you guys work so hard. Yes. So what are you excited about right now? What do you have going on? I have a show next Thursday and I'm I'm very nervous. I'm very, I've put a lot of energy into the work. Um, it's different for me. Um, the colors are a little bit more muted and um, I would say a little bit more fall, wintery scale. And compared to my earlier works that had these bold, bright colors, not saying that I won't go back there. So I'm really excited to share. I'm so excited to share the work with with the with the with with uh, the people that will be at the opening and look forward to the feedback and the conversations and always hearing about what people see in the work. You know, I have people that write our talk that I talk to and it helps me so much when I hear the feedback, whether good or bad, it helps my practice develop so much. So I'm very excited for the work to be shared in that capacity. Wonderful. Going back to college to school, Mm -hmm. how would you say your art professors influenced your creativity? Um, My art professors were very pivotal in my, um, in my practice, and I still think about them a lot. I had to do undo a lot of my graduate training because it was photographic practice, and I was always a messy artist. They would always, uh, a lot of my professors would say, you know, Danielle, this is a beautiful photograph. I mean, I don't know, understand how you captured this. This is absolutely incredible. And the class would say the same thing. But I remember being torn down to pieces by one of my professors because she said, you know, you've created a masterpiece, but your your aesthetic, the way you've hung it, the way you've printed it, the way it's still dripping here on the wall with chemicals is horrible. (laughs) And she critiqued my presentation and it stayed with me and it still stays with me that I... I'm a very messy person because I'm thinking and feeling when I'm creating. I just want to get it out. And sometimes I forget about the formality of the aesthetic of presentation. So I carry that with me to make sure it's clean crop. So I think a lot of sometimes the work formally has that, but I still enjoy the messy, the messiness to that. So my professor was stayed with me in that capacity. And then also too, in grad school, um, in regards to conceptual, not always telling everything. You don't have to say everything. You can say it in a way that's minimal and still get the point across, which is very hard to do sometimes. But I, I try my best to be very loud by being very quiet. So as an artist, what are your most substantial challenges? Um... My challenge, uh, challenges as an artist is that, you know, um, you get bored sometimes with the things that you are creating. You have a, I have a deep fear that, you know, what, what, what will happen if I don't want to do this anymore? Will I have to keep doing it? You know, um, I love it. 
I'm also afraid of like, you know, um, not being able to master the the craft. You know, I, I, I compare myself a lot because I see a lot of great art. So I, I guess the, the biggest, uh, hardest thing that I have that I face is that I'm very self-critical. And that means in regards to wanting to better the practice, but also to making sure it stands up to the, the level I, I feel is okay. So that's something I have a challenge with. You said you're messy. Yes. So what does your workspace look and feel like? Oh, <laughs> wow. It's revealing. I'm letting them on in. Danielle, really? Wow. Um, it is completely, my husband is very much a minimal and he's very, he's a painter as well and extremely clean. I mean, you go in his studio anytime he's painting, it's organized, his brushes. When you come into my space and I'm painting, brushes everywhere, paint on my face, paint on my hands, paint on the floor. Um, paint on the walls like I'll have I'll be painting and I'll have my handprint on the wall after the painting's done I mean I have to clean the edges up of the paintings because I hold them and the paint will be on the side of the painting I'm like oh how did that get there and when I'm getting ready to leave I look down and I have ruined all of the clothes that I've had I, I it's I it's just like even when I'm cooking I make the best meal my husband family everyone says I'm the best cook but when you go in the kitchen you're like what has happened so I've learned to accept that as a part of the process of creating (laughs) it's funny I want to ask you a question about your color choices yes the oranges the blues what what's that process like deciding on a particular color the color is everything for me because it sets the mood. You know, I studied a lot with color theory and what does that color mean when we see that color and you put that color against like a brown, against a turquoise, it creates this like saturation pop, but also an energy or an emotion. So when I choose the colors, I want to convey through that color a feeling. So if you see, especially with beautiful black skin, you know, you put it against a bright orange, it creates already this timeless effect. It, it makes the skin become this blanket of like a epiphany or a moment in time that's unforgettable. Um, so I try to choose these colors in such a way that it can create a feeling, uh, a sense of mood. Um, so it's, uh, I try to study that and, and, and use those colors to convey that feeling. And, and in your work, are any of your childhood or early memories reflected? In a subtle way, I, um, I'm a deep woman of faith, uh, so I try to pay homage to that. And I was raised uh, in that um, religion. My father was a preacher. My granddad took me to church um, when I was little. And we spent a lot of time in the silent, dusty church. And so I try to pay homage to him to those feelings, to those memories, by putting a crucifix or a cross, or a woman holding that. Um, also, like uh, my mother is a big figure for me. Uh, so, you know, you'll see uh, her home was an atmosphere of peace for me. I would just stay home for hours with my mom. So these, I think subconsciously, these women in these interior spaces kind of reflect that early childhood memory of just being in my mom's home and the sound of music on the Isley brothers. And I would just lay on the sofa and I could just dream. So I think that that's still happening in that work. 
And what do you enjoy most about being a visual artist? I really enjoy the community of, of, of meeting other artists and sharing the work, the platform now, especially for Black artists. Um, I enjoy so much now to go into museums and galleries and see other Black art and other Black artists. And that makes me happy. Um, and, I, and I want more of it. So I'm very happy to have a voice now and to share that. And for these beautiful Black women in these paintings to be loved and to be seen and to be honored, it's, it's a beautiful time. And so I'm very thankful. I'm very, very thankful. And I try to inspire other artists, not just Black artists, to, to share their work and to be a part of this community as well. I really enjoyed this interview, and I, I have to too. thank you that, uh, that you're sharing your voice. Um, so this is our final question, and it is, what do you feel is the purpose of art, and as an artist, what is your role? I feel like, you know, the purpose of art is to to tell the truth. I think that people can use art to really express and to tell things that cannot maybe be said out loud, or even in the written form. Uh, I think that people are able to digest the truth better through, uh, through art, whether it's, you know, written, musical, whatever it is, you know, it, because it's, it's believable, it's real. You walk up to a painting and you see something traumatic or a historical event and you see it via the paint or via the photograph, you can relate to it. You can relate to it, you can feel it and you know it to be real. So I feel like that is a beautiful thing about art. Um, and then you, the last question, I'm sorry you asked. What do you enjoy about being a visual artist and, and what do you feel is your role? Like what's your responsibility? My responsibility is to make sure I tell the story, whatever that story is. And I think every artist has a story and uh, that's kind of a, it's, it's a witness. Like I'm a witness to something and something greater than me. And I want to share that. I want to, um, to convey that. And I think art is a, the greatest platform to say it because I don't have to inhibit myself. I don't have to filter it. I don't have to cap it. I don't have to be, you know, considerate or well-behaved. I can just let it be what it is and let it out. And so I, 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 I enjoy that. It's painful, but I also enjoy it as well. Yeah. Love that answer. Thank you so much. I really appreciate our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 